A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. Podcast Network. This is a tiny revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. My name is Kevin Garcia, and if it sounds like I'm a little groggy, that's because I am. Because my voice isn't warmed up yet. Because it's the early morning, and I have just had, you know, a little couple of social events over New Year's, to say the least. Um, and you know, because of that, I. Uh, I'm getting to the podcast a little late. Um, you know, New Year's plus getting uh, ready for GCN this coming week. We're just a little bit busy, aren't we? So I'm going to go ahead and jump into this. Actually, today you're going to be listening to two different segments, and I'm so excited to share that with you. Um, and it actually all has to do with the Gay Christian Network Conference coming up this weekend in Pittsburgh. If you're coming, I am so excited to be with you. I'm so excited to help lead worship alongside Darren Calhoun. And I'm excited to just connect with the body of Christ because it's been a while, fam. And so we're going to get together. We're going to look back at last year and, you know, shake our heads at the losses and look forward to the future towards all the good things that are going to happen. So let me go ahead and jump into this. Um, This first conversation is actually with my friend Matthias Roberts, where we're talking about our workshop that we're doing at GCN called Stand Your Holy Ground, subtitle Moving Beyond the Debate. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing with that while we're in the conversation, but let me tell you about Matthias real quick. Matthias Roberts is a writer and speaker advocating for change in how faith communities engage with LGBTQ plus people. He's a graduate student at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, working on a double master's, one in theology and culture and the other in counseling psychology. By trade, he's a graphic designer and photographer, and in his spare time, a writer and reader. Passionate about people and the ways that we fit together and form culture, Matthias Roberts is unapologetically Christian and gay. All right, let's jump into this thing and have some fun with it. This is my conversation with Matthias Roberts. (laughs) That I will edit out for sure. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. I just—it's just Sunday. It's a lazy day. It's, what's your favorite thing to do on a lazy day, Matthias? Like, on a lazy Sunday. What I'm doing right now, lay in bed and, and lay like, in bed and record a podcast. Yeah, record a podcast, play Angry Birds, endlessly browse Facebook. You know, living the dream, truly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So not to so cut. So this the... mean I'm like I'm like officially on your podcast. You're you're on the like, podcast, Matthias. I've been waiting my entire life for this. <laughs> You're so dumb. You're so dumb. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's endless, all, all of us like second tier bloggers. We just want to get on each other's stuff. <laughs> each other's things. Yes. Yeah. That's always the goal. <laughs> That's what we do. But uh, Matthias, how I'm are good. you? I'm good. I'm doing very well. Good. 
Um, yes. So not to cut the pleasantry short. That's fine. But uh, so we're we're doing a a workshop together at GCN. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. What what is our workshop called, Matthias? It is called Together at Last. <laughs> That's true. Y'all. Yeah. Um. It's called it's called Stand Your Holy Ground, mm-hmm. moving beyond the debate. Um, which, which I'm excited about because too. I think there's so many people out there right now who are still constantly feeling this pull of like, I have to justify my existence mm-hmm. and I have to, I, and, and I know people who, you know, for them, like, you know, they know like the basics of, you know, the biblical case for LGBT inclusion. But right. at, at the end of the day, what I found more than just trying to explain my theology to somebody are the moments when I can sit down with them, share my actual story with them, share like what it's been like to, you know, walk out this life as a, as a queer Christian. Mm -hmm. And I found that's the thing that's actually pushed me um, beyond just seeing like right or wrong beyond, um, you know, a polarizing position, but really like digging into the relationships with people, even people who disagree with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's when we move into relationship with people that um, I feel like real things happen and mm-hmm. and we're able to find some more grounding um, that's beyond just kind of the, like clouds in the sky talk around theology, mm-hmm. um, which is important, but moving beyond that too is a huge, huge step. Yeah. Um, so what what can people expect at a Matthias slash Kevin workshop. Yeah. Um, a ton of fun. <laughs> Tons of fun. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're not, uh, if you're not coming to have fun, uh, you can still come, but maybe you won't. I mean, you'll be surprised if you're right. not prepared for the fun. If you're not prepared for the fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're going to be talking about three different principles uh, that we're going to be able to stand on. Uh, shame and fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, trust and acceptance, uh, and then like self value and God's view of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to go through those three things, and um, Kevin's going to talk and be amazing. I'm going to talk and be not quite as cool as Kevin. Oh, shut up! Uh, and <laughs> and then we're going to spend some time journaling around each of those things, um, writing letters to ourselves, which. I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, but I did this a while ago with Rob Bell and Elizabeth Gilbert, and it was like one of the most powerful things that I did last year, like seriously. Um, So we're kind of crafting it around a model that they used, uh, but bringing it into our particular context, and hopefully hopefully we'll get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think we will. I think anytime, you know, where two or more are gathered. You know, mm. ubi caritas at amor deus ibiest. That's Latin yes. right there. Do you know what this means? Yep. Um, totally. <laughs> don't lie to me. <laughs> you're not. You're not. Uh, wait, you don't have to study Latin when you're getting an MDiv, right? Or do you? No, no. Because I already. I, I know. I so. know. Your Greek and Hebrew is what's important. Yeah, I only know high church Latin. Who That's really all. wants? Who really wants to read the Vulgate anyway? Like. That was not, not your thing. 
So you're on break. You're at Seattle School of Theology. That I am. You're getting a double master's. An M- yes. Is it an MAT or an MDiv? Uh, it is a master's in theology and culture. And, so, and along with your counseling, right? Yeah, counseling psychology. Yeah. So. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with that? Tell let's let's let the people know who you are. Who is Matthias Roberts? Who is Matthias Roberts? That's a big question. Oh, <laughs> I'm a blogger. Um, mm-hmm. I write a lot about uh, faith and LGBT issues, similar to Kevin. Classic. Uh, yes, and um, focus a lot around what does it mean to live as a gay person of faith, um, a gay Christian, and uh, how do we do our own work in order to stand well uh, in our faith and then move as more full beings into the world. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I believe Jesus calls us into our particularity. Uh, and part of our particularity is being LGBT people. Um, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So do a lot of work around that. So. What does it mean for you to be a, a gay Christian? I know that's such a big and broad answer, so you can answer Gosh. it however you want to. <laughs> what does it mean to be a gay Christian? I think it means... Not taking the Bible uh, seriously at all. Totally. Yeah, that's the first <laughs> step. Throw the Bible out the window. Um, no, I think it means I think it means that we have an opportunity to live into um, a different context than what the church has traditionally um, seen as orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think whenever anyone does theology, whenever anyone goes to church, they come to it out of their own lives, their own particularity. Like, um, and so when we read the Bible, when we read anything, do church, um, no matter who we are, we bring ourselves to that process. There's no, uh, quote unquote objective way mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, and, you know, so long as there's been this one particular way of doing church that has centered around like a Eurocentric, white, straight um, way of doing theology. And and I think as gay people, we're able to now come in and say, hey, like, there are other perspectives, there are other ways of doing this. We bring, you know, a portion of the body of Christ with us Mm -hmm. as gay people. And yeah, are able to to bring a different vision of what the body of Christ looks like. and and to do work around that. I think one very interesting thing that I was discussing with a family member recently about, you know, being gay, because they they were, they were kind of, they've kind of been weirded out by how the fact, like I came out a year ago and Mm. they feel like I've, I guess they feel like I've over, over embraced. That wasn't the term they used, but just like, they feel Mm -hmm. like I've like jumped off the deep end as far as like all things gay are concerned. And on the one hand, like, I will say, yeah, I'm unapologetically, you know, a gay person. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, that is not the only part of me that exists. I am a, a writer and a blogger and a speaker and a teacher and all these things. But I right. think one of the things I like about my story is, like, the fact that I am gay is crucial to, yeah. like, all of the you know, multitude of identities that I carry with me in my body. Yeah. And a lot of times people, not people, but I think people who are less well-versed in these kind of conversations can easily or want to easily dismiss this part of us and just say, oh, but that's not all of who you are. And I'm just like, duh, 
I know right. that, but I, I need this part of me because it's not just about who I'm attracted to, but yeah. it's about how I move through the world. It's how I relate with people, with my friends, with my family, um, with God. Like even how I connect with God, I think is very central to like sexuality is central to that because absolutely. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but just I have this idea that just like sexuality is simply the need among other things, like the base core of it is like this need to connect with, with other people. And then I say by yeah. extension, our need to connect with God. And I just, right. and I, so I, like, yeah. I, I need that. And I don't want to, I don't want to push that away from me. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, we so often try to split off our spiritual side from our bodies or our rational side, our minds off from our bodies. And the reality is, is we can't do that without grave consequences. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of those consequences can be seen in the way LGBT people are treated and the way they feel about themselves, um, especially within our church context. Yeah. But uh, it's so vitally important to to pay attention to our bodies because our bodies are how we experience the world and they're tools that God has given to us as deeply important. They're the only way that we know we, we know the world that we live in is through our bodies. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. That's so it's so good. I think a lot of us were taught growing up, like, like I remember the one that I always kept like rem- t- telling myself when I was still struggling to reconcile faith and sexuality was this whole, uh, the spirit is willing, but the body is, is weak. And I think for like people who like get so mad about like, uh, I got told one time just that I, that I, you only believe in the Gnostic gospel. I'm just like, right. I'm like, that's so not true. <laughs> I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's literally the opposite. Like, like right. The way it's you, the exact opposite. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm trying to get both and to like, get it all in here. Right. I mean, because Gnosticism is a way of denying the body and moving away from the body. Um, and I think something that LGBT people are able to do that the straight church hasn't been able to do is be able to say, hey, look, like our bodies are so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, to argue that LGBT people don't, I was I was just reading an article a couple of days ago saying that LGBT people um, try to distance themselves, try to don't take the body seriously by arguing that marriage is an emotional um, and spiritual connection. It says that it's also not a bodily connection. And he was trying to argue that LGBT people um, is a form of, or theology is a form of neo-Gnosticism. Um, but the reality so is... interesting. That's it my... is. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I just want to be like, what? Yeah, because... We wouldn't be if bodies weren't important. We wouldn't be having this conversation to begin with, because we're attracted to a particular kind of body, mm-hmm. uh, and there's something really important about that. Like in the particularity of our bodies, like that's that's where this conversation is happening. Mm-hmm. It's not this weird, you know, kind of extra extra spiritual conversation. It's we're talking about very real embodied things Mm -hmm. and what they mean for our spirituality Mm -hmm. um, and our connection to god yeah because my entire life i didn't know like i think we were all kind of just taught to be ashamed of all things even even straight people i think to a degree because like um 
last podcast or I put out with my friend Daniel, which is like he pointed out like lust is not a a gay problem, you know, right. you mm-hmm. know, like you know this line of just like you know how do we relate to our sexualities? I think is a I think is a blessing that the LGBT Christians are going to be bringing like to the church. It's like you know like this is how we talk about this is how we live with and this is how we celebrate our bodies and our sexualities and our gender expressions i think the thing that keeps me because like the other like i know we all have those moments where we just kind of like want to throw in the towel and just like this is stupid no one really cares about anything i've been doing this by myself which if you ever feel that way take a deep breath and call somebody because you need you need to (laughs) like you're thinking too much um Mm -hmm. but um but like the thing that keeps me hanging on, the, key, the thing that keeps me thinking that this is all going to be okay is like when we get to the point where like our generation starts really digging into like, having kids and like, and a lot of our mm. friends are already in that process of like having kids and raising them. I'm just like, what's good, what's it going to be like for them in their teen years when right. they have a healthy way of talking about their body, a healthy way of talking about sexuality, uh, a more integrated way of looking at their spirituality and how they connect to God. Mm-hmm. Um, a Jesus that actually cares for uh, people and not just yeah. a certain kind of people. That's the vision I want for. And like, and we're not going to get there if we don't do our, like our own emotional and spiritual work. Absolutely. And yeah, no one's going to do that except for us. Except for us. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a form of resistance. To, yes. To do that work. Um, yeah, and to and to be able to claim and hold our ground, mm-hmm. <laughs> the ground that we stand on yeah. as followers of Jesus who are queer, because mm-hmm. um, that's what we are, and, and it's we're funny. the only ones who can do that work. My friend Sarah Heath says that there's a gospel that only you can preach. Mm. You know, I love that. Just, <laughs> that is so mind blowing to me. Just like it's like there's something I am uniquely equipped to do, because I think yeah. for a lot of us, like we disqualified ourselves. Absolutely. And now yeah. we're at this space of, now, not only are you qualified, but as queer people, I think we are called to, oh, bring, yeah. to bring the revolution. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we yeah. preach it. Now we're getting ready. We also, in the same way that like the, the Jews in Jesus's time thought that like their Messiah was going to be this big old conquering king, like a political king to come in and redo right. everything. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of times like, we're expecting something similar as mm-hmm. like marginalized people. We're expecting like a revolution to look like out with the old in with the new. And I, I keep having this sense that it's not going to be how we want it to look. And I hate that. Right. And so it's now we're in this place of just like, you know, exploring what it is to when to build bridges and when to burn them and right. when to have the honest con like the, the very calm educational conversation and when to you know let some holy anger out yeah and there's a balance there of <laughs> balance and we don't always know <laughs> we don't always do it yeah. well no um, we don't so there's grace okay. there's, there's grace for us to learn how to do it better yeah, we've absolutely. never been revolutionaries before. How are we supposed to know? What? Yes. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it, makes, it makes me think of um, James Allison, who's a, a Catholic theologian who's gay, um, has mm. done some incredible work. Um, Catholic so he was, and gay. Now that is interesting. Yeah, um, he's incredible. If if any of you, if y'all have never heard of James Allison or read any of James Allison, 
go pick up some of his stuff. It's incredible. Um, but he was here in Seattle a couple months ago and, and was talking particularly to a queer group that I am in and was saying to us, he's like, you know, he's, he's older and, um, I, I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's older and is in a different generation, but he was talking to me and my peers and was saying like your generation is the generate the first generation that gets to, uh, figure out what it means to live as LGBT Christians mm. in the church. Uh, he said all of, you know, every, every generation that's come before you has been a generation fighting for our place in the church. And he's like, and we more or less, you know, the battle isn't over yet, but more or less now our generation does have a place. Yeah. And now we get to start figuring out what does it mean to live in those places? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. We're defining things and, it's pretty amazing. What a time to be alive. It's, yeah. Yo, I'm super stoked. And I'm super stoked that we get to unpack more of this mm-hmm. in, at GCN among yeah. our, our friends and colleagues. Uh, when When is the workshop, Matthias? When is yes. Sandra Holy Ground? So it's going to be Saturday afternoon of GCN. So mm-hmm. what day is that? The 7th? Saturday, January 7th uh, at 4 p.m.? Uh, at the Westin Hotel in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ooh, and um, it's going to be amazing. I'm yeah. so excited. It's going to yeah. be incredible. Things you should bring: uh, some yes. form of paper, mm-hmm. um, a good pen to write with, whatever you prefer. Come with openness. Mm-hmm. Uh, come with your full self, even if that means that you're feeling a lot of anxiety or pain or whatever it is. Just bring it all. It'll uh, hopefully the my vision for this is, you know, that's, this is the last workshop of the conference. It's the last workshop slot. Um, and usually by that time, I know I'm exhausted. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully we'll be able to create a space. I think we will create a space where we can rest as mm-hmm. opposed to do more work. Um, yeah. Hopefully people will come out feeling refreshed instead of yeah. bogged down by more conference things. Yeah. So, and yeah, along the same lines, my hope is that like you'll walk away kind of with this sense that like this is all going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we may not have like and I also want to say we're not going to be able to give you any answers either. True. Like when when you come here, like we're not going to come to fix you, but we we do have some ideas. Mm-hmm. And we've got good prayers and good friends and mm-hmm. I'm so excited. So, come hang out with us on Saturday, 4 p.m. Uh, let's pack out the house. Yeah. I still can't believe they gave us a room with 200 people. Like I was, yeah, it was a big room. (laughs) So fill it out. So we don't feel like we're total failures. Yep. (laughs) Um, because we, we do have egos and, uh, every now and again, I need a little in place. (laughs) I I ain't too proud to beg everyone. I ain't too proud to beg. All right, that was my conversation with my friend Matthias Roberts. Um, he's such a dear friend. And Matthias, thank you for doing this workshop with me. I'm not even sure if you're going to listen to the podcast before we do it, but I want you to know how incredibly thankful I am. And if you guys uh, want to hear that, I'm actually going to be taking the audio recording from that workshop and putting it on a podcast so you can listen in on your own. So no big deal. You didn't miss a thing. But if you're going to be at GCN, you should probably come hang out with us just for a little bit. 
Anyways, you can connect with Matthias Roberts online uh, on the social medias at Matthias Roberts on Instagram and Twitter on fa- at Facebook.com. Just search Matthias Roberts and you'll find his public page. Be sure to like that. And on his blog, MatthiasRoberts.com. Before I jump into the second part of the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know about a couple changes that are going to be happening through, uh, through my Patreon page. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a really great platform for people like you who uh, consume products that creatives make, like podcasts, blogs, YouTube videos, things like that. You know, independent creators who are doing their best to, they, they do it because they love it. And like like me, like I do the blog and the podcast because I feel like it's part of the ministry that I'm called to do. But I will say it also comes with some expenses, like paying an editor, paying hosting fees, um, along with time and energy that's put into this sort of thing. So what Patreon allows me to do is actually invest more time in creating resources for you and for people like you um, about faith, culture, sexuality, um, all the things that we think about to try and make the world a less dark place. Um, But again, that comes with uh, a cost, uh, both time and money. And so Patreon uh, is actually a way to give monthly to support those people financially. So whether it's $1, $5, $10, $50 if you have it lying around, you can become a part of the process of creating more resources for LGBTQ plus people, for people of faith, for uh, people who just are a little bit, we think differently about Christianity. And um, I want to let you know that there's also going to be changes happening with that. Um, reward levels as low as $1 are going to come up um, after GCN. I'm going to be launching everything, um, which has to do with um, the publishing of my book, uh, with a couple of video series that I'm trying to create. Um, just some really, really fantastic resources that are going to be a help to more people. So if you want to become a part of that, go over to patreon.com slash subscribe to learn how you can support this work and work like it through Patreon. All right, now on to the second part of the podcast where I'm talking with my friend Amber Cantorna. I met Amber Cantorna at the Reformation Project in LA this past October, and man, this girl is a light, not this girl, this woman, she is a woman, and she's got such an amazing story. So let me give you some background info on her. Amber Cantorna is an author and speaker with a heart for people who find themselves at the intersection of their faith and their sexuality. Focusing primarily on LGBT and faith topics, she strives to bridge the gap between two seemingly opposing communities and help navigate their journey through the crossroads. Amber has been featured on the Huffington Post Religion column, as well as on Liberal America and other writing mediums. She's been interviewed on a dozen different podcasts, including The God Show, uh, The CanCast, and she travels all over the country speaking, sharing her story in hopes of creating conversations for change. Amber's book, which I'm so excited about, Refocusing My Family, uh, subtitled Coming Out, Being Cast Out, and Discovering the True Love of God, is set to be out in 2017. And this weekend, she's also going to be at GCN, and she's going to be leading worship with me, and she's doing a workshop. So if you're on your way to GCN, uh, gear up, because you're about to meet one of the best ones out there. She's an amazing person, and I really hope you enjoy this interview I had with Amber Cantorna. Really, my dad has worked at Focus on the Family virtually my whole life. We, I, I was born in Kalispell, Montana, but we moved to California in the Los Angeles area when I was three because he took a job at Focus on the Family. And so he still works there to this day. So that has been 
really my my life experience is growing up in that world, uh, in that conservative Christian realm. And I was homeschooled all the way, K through 12. So wow. very much in a Christian bubble that kind of tried to preserve you from the outside world and tried to, I think they had good intentions of trying to keep you protected from the outer evils, you know, but in um, what it ended up doing is really more harm than good because it didn't really equip me to to effectively thrive outside that Christian bubble. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I came out, it's it'll be uh, five years in this coming April, and I, I knew from the beginning that it wasn't going to be good. You know, I, I knew it wasn't going to be good, but I didn't anticipate it going as poorly and um, as it did. And it was just very rough from the very get-go and only got worse from there. And so it's, you know, it's been several years since I've had any contact with my family. Wow. And and that's not just my parents, but, you know, um, my brother, my extended family, my relatives, um, they have all just turned their back on me. And they've never even met Clara, my wife. And, you know, so that all that has transpired in, you know, a matter of several years. And so it's been a, probably about a year, almost a year now since I kind of came more into the public eye and sharing my story. Cause I just, uh, I've come to realize that there's so many other people like me, you right. know, maybe their dad didn't actually work at focus as an executive, but they were raised on focus on the family principles or they listened to James Dobson or they listened to Avengers and Odyssey or they, you know, and so uh, there's so many other people that have grown up in that same culture that are still either, afraid to come out of the closet or have children that are coming out of the closet. And so those are the people that I'm primarily trying to reach with my story. Wow. I didn't shoot. (laughs) That's one of those things where just like, I, I I often tell people, I'm just like, when I, when I think about my own story and my own coming out process, like I count myself very lucky, um, for so many reasons. Um, my family, like it just, they just don't care. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, they're not like, they love me, but I wouldn't call them allies or affirming. Right. Right. And that's always just so tough. But then like, I run into like these kids, like, like teenagers who will reach out to me and who will say like, well, I can't come out right now because my family is all the things that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And that's such a scary yeah. thing. And it's so not like the Jesus I read about in scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think especially for these ones that are, you know, still teenagers, it's hard because you you can't help but advise them of the fact that if their parents are paying for education or medical insurance or any of the things that cause them to thrive, that coming out could potentially jeopardize that. And, And that's a hard thing to keep somebody from being authentic because it could put them on the streets. Yeah. And, um, and that just shouldn't be happening. Yeah. It's, and it's such a double-edged sword to trying to talk people through this process because like on the one hand, like you're like, yes, live your authentic life, but it's also trying to consider safety. Mm-hmm. For a lot and of it people... comes at a cost. One thing, you know, that we were kind of raised to believe is have this very us versus them mentality, you know, of, here's us in our Christian bubble and we have everything right. (laughs) And anybody that's not like us is them and on the outer and, and our goal should make them become like us. 
And so, you know, it's a very black and white way of viewing the world as opposed to having appreciation for its diversity. And so I think as I've learned to embrace my own diversity and accept all of who God made me to be, it's then made me more able to embrace the diversity of others. Mm-hmm. And and I, I wish that I would have been exposed to more diversity growing up because yeah. I, I really wasn't, you know, I wasn't exposed to any diversity. Everybody was white, Christian, you know, it was just very cocooned. And I wish I would have been exposed to more people of color, people with disabilities, people with, you know, um, different sexual orientations or gender identities, because it, it makes the world so much more beautiful and we can learn to appreciate all the, the beautiful ways that God has created people to be. And so I think, I think learning to accept myself now has only made, given me a greater appreciation, not only for other people in general, but also for the diversity of God himself yeah. and, and the, and the beautiful diversity that God is so much bigger than we give him credit for. Yeah. And he's so much bigger than this little box that we try to put him inside. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, I think it's, it's, pushed my faith to a, such a greater level than I had ever known it to be before. You know, I, I saw a quote a while back that said something about, um, if the you of today can't call the you of five years ago a heretic, you're not growing spiritually. Yeah. And I, I thought about that. I was like, I love that because it's so true. Like, even, you know, I came from the mindset of these people that I'm now, you know, wanting to help embrace a broader diversity of God. That's where I came from, you know? And so there's a lot of grace, I think, there for that, because I know that's that's where I came from. That's, And I think a lot of times fear is what keeps them from moving forward. And, you know, the fear of, well, if I'm wrong about what the Bible says about same-sex marriage, what else am I wrong about? And suddenly you're afraid of your entire foundation of faith crumbling beneath you, you know? And I think that fear is very real. I remember facing that fear myself. And so I think, you know, I have a lot of grace for people in that place, um, but at the same time want to move them along the spectrum of, of seeing a broader diversity of God. Yeah. And... Yeah, and I just, I think, you know, it's important for us to realize how much bigger God is than Mm -hmm. the little box we try to put him inside and the little rules that we try to make him adhere to. You know, there's so much more to God than that. Yeah. The upbringing that, you know, you and I both came from, we're comfortable inside our little box because we have the answers and we think we have it all together. We know what God looks like. And when we start breaking outside of that, it can be scary because you, you suddenly, you don't have all the answers and you're afraid and you're doubtful. And I think, you know, it actually takes more faith to live in that, that tension of doubt and not knowing and wonder and mystery than it does to have all the answers, you know, but I think it has made my faith stronger. And I think I've come to a place where I'm okay with not knowing everything and not having all the answers and okay with just living in a space of mystery and, and being okay with, you know, I don't, I don't always know, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know that my, my understanding of God is ever growing and expanding in itself. And, but the, I've had that same realization is that like, when you pose that one question, it also has a thousand other questions that follow, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, what else am I wrong about? Like, yeah. how, how do you start out those conversations with people who are just kind of starting their own 
form of like deconstruction of their own faith. I think everybody has to take it at their own pace. You know, everybody, the journey doesn't look the same for any two people. Everybody has to take their own journey. Everybody has to search out the scriptures for themselves. Everybody, you know, I think for myself, it came as both that I needed the head knowledge of realizing, you know, kind of what we, what we learn at things like the Reformation Project about the cultural background and the, the history of the Bible and the time that it was written and how to look at it through the lens of that as opposed to literal interpretation. And, and so I think my head knowledge needed that to help reconcile my own um, sexuality and faith. But then I also had another component of me that I realized really clicked into place when I started seeing same-sex couples in loving monogamous relationships that were committed to one another that loved God, I uh, that clicked in a whole nother place inside of my heart to see that oh this is possible. These people have been together for ten years or twenty years or thirty years, and they are committed to one another, and they are just as in love with God as the next person. And you know, they, and it was just I remember the first time I, I I saw people like that, and it was like. They are so in love with God and they are so in love with each other. And it was just the most beautiful thing without any conflict between them. And I think for me, that really did a lot inside of my own heart because I had both the head knowledge and the heart experience to go with it to make it all click into place. Mm-hmm. And so I think the journey for each person looks different and you can't rush it. And I think I think the coming out process for each person looks different based on their circumstances. And they just need to be very gentle with themselves and give themselves grace and time and space to work through it all, you know, and uh, when the time is right, they'll know it. And there's no other person that can tell them, oh, you should come out or you shouldn't come out or whatever, because they need to do it in their own time and when they're ready, when they feel like they need to, you know? Yeah. That's always been like something so very tricky for me. Cause I, I, I noticed like for a good, like a good man, and this is still something I'm kind of like trying to break myself of is uh, becoming a fundamentalist of my own experience. Where, like, I came out in a year and, like, now I'm, I'm already jumping into, like, advocacy work and I'm already, like, you know, teaching about this stuff and I'm doing workshops and traveling and just doing, you know, doing the things that we do. Or I have found myself in a few situations where I realized that, like, I kind of uh, wrecked certain really good friendships because I was pushing too hard too fast. Mm-hmm. It's this space of I... I have to remember, remember, like, I took 12 years. Yeah. 12 years. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, I don't think there's any shame in setting boundaries. You know, I know when I first came out, I felt like, oh, I have to maintain relationships with all these people because I have to prove to them that I'm still the same person. And I have to, you know, live my life in front of them so I can convince them that I haven't changed and that it's still possible to love God and be gay. And But forcing myself to do that didn't change their view of me and in turn it only did more harm to my own heart as I put myself in situations that weren't safe and that did a lot of emotional damage to me and so I think there's no harm in in setting healthy boundaries that keep you emotionally safe and mentally stable and you know create a safe space for you because it does take time and sometimes you may have to step away from some relationships for a while and come back to them when you feel ready, you know, yeah. and, and there's no shame in that. Yeah. 
that's a that's a big part of what I learned because I wanted to maintain so much of those mm-hmm. past relationships because yeah. they were key in my spiritual development at the time. Absolutely. Too. And uh, it's hard to and you don't want to let them go because yeah. you care about these people and you you want them to continue to care about you and not see you differently. I think one thing I've run into before is with some of those old, uh, not older, but just like certain uh, relationships from my past circles where individuals will will say like, well, I don't want to see you for your sexuality. I want to see you for you. And I love you because you're you. And I was like, yes, but also like, this is a big part. Like this, this, my sexuality still is me. Like just Mm -hmm. like your sexuality is you. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a, I feel like there's like a genuine, I mean, there is a genuine lack of understanding of how, you know, sexuality is not this like parsed off thing in the distance. Like, you know, it's as it is how we perceive beauty and it is how we relate to others, uh, whether it be platonically or romantically. It is mm-hmm. how we express, I think, I think it's even how we relate to God in many ways. And that's, that's tough to try and like, and when you're working, like, I think that our, one thing we all have to realize is that it's not our job to try and convert every single person. Mm -hmm. It's not our job to try and, it's not our job to try and save every person. Like the only person that, I mean, we can't even save ourselves. That's why Jesus was, you know, here, you know, that's when we realize like it's not our job to save or convert the world. Like it, it gets easier, I think. Yeah. Some people will watch you from a distance, you know, there's been some, some relationships I've had to just let go of and be okay with that and quit trying so hard. But some people have kind of distanced and yet still in the distance kind of been watching. And I can see that over time, just watching me from a distance has changed them Mm -hmm. and has moved them along the spectrum, you know, and, and that's encouraging to me to see that as they're watching me live my life out authentically and honestly, that they they see that tension of, um, no, this isn't all who I am. This is, you know, but it is a big part of who I am. And yet I am still the same person in many ways that I've always been. And and watching me love God and love my wife and create our life together in this beautiful space. And as they watch from a distance, they you know, that's moving them along the spectrum of seeing, um, embracing more diversity of God. Some people have said, like, this tradition is dying. Like, people, like, you know, why Like, why do you stick around? You know, why do you continue to, like, put yourself in the same space with people who don't want you, you know? And, and yet, like, you and I both, and I, I, I'll speak for myself, just, like, I feel this, this compel, like, this compulsion almost. Just and not a compulsion to stay from other people, but just, like, a call of the spirit to say, you know, don't don't run away. Don't go elsewhere. Just like go deeper. Cause like there is, there is gems, there is treasure buried underneath all of that fear. Like, have, yeah. Yeah. Like what is like, what's your take on when people tell you to go, why don't you just go become Episcopal? It's a lot easier that way. <laughs> you know, I think we, uh, it's hard to let go of your roots. 
it, it has a hold on you, you know? And, and I think part of what's kept me a part of the church and kept me a Christian is, is in part separating, um, what people do in the name of God from God himself Yeah, and, and realizing who God is. And I think that's, what's always kept me, um, active in my relationship with Christ is realizing that he is not who a lot of people claim him to be. And, um, and actively engaging in who God says I am and in the love that he has, um, for me as a child of God and not always letting those voices of negativity or, um, you know, lack of acceptance spin in my head. Cause I think that takes us to a real negative space. And so really investing time and focusing on who God says I am and then using that as a springboard to reach these people, to help them dig deeper, to help them. Um, especially I really, I just really have a heart for people that are coming from situations like ours that are, you know, feeling like they have to give up either their sexuality or their faith and not knowing how to bridge the gap between those. And I know what a difficult space that is to, to be in. And I know you'd know that. And, and so finding a way to reach those people is, you know, is a huge part of um, my heart because I feel like people don't want to see them. They want to, you know, it's kind of this taboo thing that, that a lot of evangelicals or the big C church want to just, push under the rug and pretend doesn't exist. And we can't do that because it's killing people. And, you know, so reaching those people and letting them know God loves you, you have safe people that care, that'll walk alongside you, that'll help you, you know, that it does get better, that you don't have to walk this life alone, that there are other people out there like you, you know, Mm -hmm. because when you haven't yet tapped into resources like the Reformation Project or the Gay Christian Network, you may not have any idea that there's other people out there like you, yeah. you know, I certainly didn't. I thought I was completely alone and yeah. tapping into the knowledge that there are so many, and there's a whole community of people out there like you that will walk alongside you. And it's just, it's really amazing. I have met some of the most amazing people along this journey that, you know, some are allies, some are parents, some are, you know, and I mean, people that have walked this journey themselves and come out as, you know, as parents of gay children come out on the other side and ended up standing in for my parents at our wedding and walking me down the aisle and giving me away. And, you know, like I just have met some of the most amazing people and, and I'm so grateful for that because it helps fill that void. You know, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take it away completely. That void is obviously still there. And, and, you know, holidays are still hard and, you know, there's still difficult things around all that, but, but having those people that help fill those spaces, um, where my family would have been, have been so healing and, and monumental for me. And so I just think it's so important to, to reach those people, um, to know that they're not alone and, and likewise to reach the parents and know that this doesn't have to be the end for your gay child, you know, that, yeah. that there is so much hope for them and there's so much life beyond this and that they can, um, have a, you know, happy, loving marriage, just like you've always dreamed for them to have. It just looks a little different, you know? Yeah. I often say, you know, that if my parents were to put gender aside, they would see that Claire is everything they could have ever wanted for me. And, yeah. you know, it, it, everything that they've prayed for all my life is still there. It just, the packaging was a little different than they expected, but the contents is the same, you know? Yeah. And, or even and better so, than what they could have probably. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the thing that like, that keeps me 
hanging on. Those roots go deep, and some of those lessons you learn are so good. Like mm-hmm. so, like yeah. so, like learning. Like Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Like that was the thing that got me. Jesus called the people who were second best. You know, Jesus didn't call like the the all star, the all stars of the uh, you know the Hebrew world or the Jewish world. He's like. I want the zealot who lives in the cave. I want the tax collector that nobody likes. I I want the fisherman who didn't get into seminary. You know, you guys come hang out with me. Come like, and that, that's what drew me in. And I was the weirdo. Like I was Mm -hmm. such a weirdo in like middle school. So at nine years old, feeling othered and feeling different. That's what drew me in. And it was because of, you know, the evangelical tradition that introduced me to a very personal Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that was monumental for me too, because I, you know, around 12, 13, I started really um, developing strong roots in the evangelical church. And that relationship that I built with Jesus, I think is what carried me through all these years. If I hadn't had such a deep personal relationship with God, journals filled with prayers and conversations and times that I just hours and hours and hours that I spent alone with God I think that foundation and those roots are what carried me through. And if I hadn't had that, maybe my faith would have crumbled, you know, maybe I wouldn't have come out on the other side as strong as I did. Yeah. And that's just, so like, there's like a little bit, you know, not, I I almost, I almost said that just like, I hate to give them any credit, but, but like, you know, I will credit that to, to, evangelicalism is that it does Mm -hmm. like teach like good like some very good practices i was gonna say and the same for um focus on the family you know you can't they have done a lot of good in the world in a in many aspects you can't categorize them and just say oh everything is bad because they have you know done harm to the lgbt community yes they've done some harm and they've you know made some poor choices in the way that they've communicated that message but they've also done some good in a lot of families and a lot of marriages and a lot, you know, and so it, it again, it's this kind of it's a, double-edged sword of, you know, of things that I can't say, you know, oh, that everything they do is bad because they've done a lot of good for a lot of people all around yeah. the world, you know. It's so easy to vilify the people that we hurt so much. Um, this even, especially with like the election this past week, um, the Sunday sermon was taught, uh, thankfully, by uh, my friend Bethany, who is the strongest, blackest woman at our church. <laughs> and if she was not preaching that Sunday, I would have thrown hands at people. Um, and she was teaching on, on well, we're in a mini-series on grace in my church, and she was talking about how Jesus said, pray for your enemies and bless those mm-hmm. who curse you. And it's just like, mm-hmm. that teaching sucks sometimes mm-hmm. because yeah. as LGBT Christians, as, you know, or as people of color or like all like the other marginalized individuals, like these identities that we embody, we want, like all we want to do is just go off and do our own thing. It would be so much better, but just like the way of Christ is so radically different than the, than the way of the world, which is to, yeah. you know, if someone hurts you, Eye for an eye, get out, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know what we don't realize is that just like the way of Jesus is this this reconciliation. But there's there's this tension that I feel sometimes between wanting to have such a justice driven position on my own, but then also at the same in the same breath, like calling out the oppression, calling out the BS, making making it known 
that people are dying and mm-hmm. it's because of this uh, of because of bad theology and then at the same time Jesus wants that other person. It's like this really hard, it's it a is. hard thing to sit it's in. It's so hard. It's it, it, hard to sit in that space where it's like we can't become the very people we oppose. You know, if we treat them the exact way we feel like they're treating us, then we're no better than they are, you know, and learning to, to rise above that and to love these people that we disagree with and to learn how to live in this space together and and model Jesus can be so hard. It can be, you know, it can be so hard. Yeah. It's like the, there's a, a really fine balance between, uh, letting, letting righteous anger push you towards doing something and being active and like getting the stories that need to be told out there and being involved with your community, involved with your Mm -hmm. church. And then also that gracious love that we're called to possess. Like it's such a fine balance. And yeah, it's, it's hard it's, to find sometimes, especially with where we're at with everything happening in our country right now. Yes, yes. I think it's a very, it's a very hard line to walk, to to love the people that we disagree with, and at the same time push for justice, yeah. and equality. It's it's a tough balance to find. Yeah. And I think we're gonna wrestle with it daily. You know. Yeah, because I think also something a therapist told me one time is that it's also kind of rooted in forgiveness in a lot of ways. And like, I don't want to, I don't want to ever ask people who are being oppressed to forgive their oppressors because obviously that's not a good thing. But for myself, when I think about my own practice, if I don't choose forgiveness, if I don't learn what it is to, uh, to lay that down and to pick up love instead, I, uh, I stand to, lose out on a bunch of healing. So it's like, it's almost like the the old saying is unforgiveness is swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. Mm -hmm. And there is a level of forgiveness that I'm still learning and I'm trying to embrace every day for the people who have hurt me and who still hurt me. Mm -hmm. Not for, not even for their, like for both of our benefits really, because like I stand to gain so much freedom from forgiveness. Uh, and that person, when they see that kind of same forgiveness being doled out to them, they're just like, whoa, like that, that can be, I think, something that really can be a game changer for a lot of people. Does that yeah. make sense? I feel like I'm just... Yeah. No, I think it's, I, I think we were talking in our church this last week about, um, hospitality and he was talking about four different levels of hospitality. And he said the first level is just acknowledging the dignity in the other person that they are a child of God. And, you know, and we were talking about how hard that is to do sometimes just to acknowledge, I see the dignity in you and I honor that as a child of God, even though we disagree in some of the most fundamental ways, you know, and how hard of a place that can be to arrive sometimes just at that first very basic level of hospitality before we invite them into our home or before we welcome them, you know, like just getting into that space where we can say, you are a beloved child of God and I honor that in you, even when we disagree, you know? And, and at the same time, like you said, that tension of, of fighting for justice and fighting for what's right and fighting for the oppressed and the marginalized. And yet at the same time, living like Jesus and, and forgiving those that are enemies, forgiving those we disagree with, forgiving those that hurt us. It's, it's a tough balance. Yeah. Welcome to following Jesus, everyone. 
<laughs> my name is Kevin. This is Amber, and we're uh, we're gonna tell you how we don't know anything. That's pretty, <laughs> that we don't know how to do this. And I, but I, like that's the thing. It's just like if we can acknowledge that, like we're all kind of doing this for the first time. Yeah. For a lot of us, and like this is this is a like God is doing a new thing. And when God does a new thing, it doesn't really come with instruction made like instructions other than yeah. show up. Yeah. And just bring your full self. Yeah. And I think as long as we have an open heart and we're we're willing to learn, we're willing to grow, you know, how we feel will may vacillate from day to day and may change. And some days we may have more grace than others, and some days we may have more forgiveness than others. And what you know, it, it's a process and we're we're people, we're human, we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where we we lean into Jesus and we depend on his grace to sustain us. All right, that was my conversation with Amber Cantorna. Amber is going to be at GCN this weekend along with me and Matthias Roberts holding a workshop of her own to talk more about dealing with grief and loss in the LGBTQ community. So uh, come meet her this weekend, say hello, connect with her in real life because it's always, even though online is good, in person is always better. You know how it goes. You can connect with Amber Cantorna on Twitter at Amber Cantorna, and you can connect with her on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyond.ambercantorna or on her blog, ambercantorna.com. Before I go, and as you know, I'm a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, a collective of creatives sounding off about things that matter, whether it's movies, creative living, uh, neurodivergence, or even how to take dirty selfies, we've got a podcast that's sure to speak to you. Our newest podcast, which is called Not So Dirty Talk, is premiering this month, so be sure to head over to the iTunes library, search the Bedlam Podcast Network, and get lined up with all the rest of our really fun shows that are just so much fun. Um, And uh, be sure to follow BPN on all the social media at Bedlam Podcasts. And uh, go to bedlampodcast.com to learn more about uh, the shows we're creating. We're really excited about where we're going in 2017, and we hope that you'll continue to join us. Um, I don't think I've got any more information. Again, you can always connect with me on social media, on Twitter, at the Kevin Garcia, Instagram, at the Kevin Garcia, uh, Facebook.com slash Kevin.Garcia, and over on the blog, thekevingarcia.com, where you can also pick up my ebook called Are You a Practicing Homosexual? and Other Things I Wish You'd Quit Asking Me. Um, it's completely free. All you got to do is sub- all you gotta do is subscribe, and uh, I'll send it to you. By the way, if you are a subscriber to thekevingarcia.com, I'm going to be sending out a 2017 kind of like demographic survey slash questionnaire to really kind of figure out who's listening to my podcast, who is, uh, who's working with me, what I can do to make this whole experience better for you, and how it can serve you better in 2017. So if you are a subscriber, go check your email and fill that out. I promise it takes less than five minutes, and it's beautifully designed, if I do say so myself. Uh, All right, that's all from me. I'll see you guys at GCN. And by the way, there might be a little bonus episode headed your way uh, tomorrow called Gay Ladies in Space. So if you want more of that, you can check me out tomorrow on the podcast. Uh, Again, this has been A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'll talk to you tomorrow, actually. Bye now. I've been waiting my entire life for this. (laughs) You're so dumb. You're so dumb. (laughs)